Welcome to OVS Orbit, the podcast for Open vSwitch users and developers. This is episode number 51. Welcome to the very special Valentine's Day edition of OVS Orbit. Roses are red, violets are blue. This episode's guest is Henry Shu. On to the interview. Hello and welcome to the OVS Orbit podcast. Uh, today I'm talking to Henry Xu, uh, who is a professor at the City University of Hong Kong in the uh, NetX lab, uh, which concentrates on uh, data center networking, NFE, uh, machine learning, and uh, data analytics. So uh, today I think we're going to be talking about uh, the work that you presented at Hot Nuts in 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, before we uh, really jump into that, do you want to say anything more about uh, yourself and your interests and your background? Yeah, um, thanks, Ben, for inviting me to do this. So uh, I mostly work on computer networks, um, uh, so for data centers and also for NFV. And uh, recently, we started to look at um, machine learning systems and the networking problems over there. Um, so I've been a assistant professor for uh, more than four years over there, and then I got my PhD from University of Toronto. Um, so yeah, so that's my kind of bio. Oh, that, that's great. So uh, the the work that you presented at, at Hotnets is uh, all about uh, a network stack as a service. Mm-hmm. So uh, what what does that mean? What what's a network stack as a service? So. Um, We're trying to basically articulate this uh, vision of uh, network stack as a service. So what this means is that um, traditionally um, in a public cloud, uh, the network stack, the TCP IP stack, is uh, part of the guest operating system. So it remains inside the tenant VM. And then what we are trying to do is to separate that and then make it as a independent service that is actually provided and also managed by the cloud provider. So in that sense, um, you have this network stack as a service. So you can have uh, a different uh, network stack uh, and then the tenants can feel free to choose you know, what kind of TCP stack they want or uh, whether it's a kernel stack or user space stack, um, all sorts of uh, choices. And then the provider will be able to really optimize the implementation and uh, because it's offered as a service, so they they might even be able to charge the tenants for providing that service um, and also guarantee the kind of the level of uh, performance. Sure. So, uh, why don't we try to work out kind of an example of uh, of, of why this uh, mm-hmm. is is a good idea? So, mm-hmm. in your talk earlier today, you you brought up uh, BBR as, as one particular uh, reason or, or use case. So, uh, well, I guess first of all, we might want to say what what is BBR. So, BBR is uh, this new um, congestion control algorithm uh, coming out of uh, Google. So uh, basically, uh, it uh, it performs uh, much better than uh, traditional TCP cubic, for example. 
um, in the wide area setting uh, because it's able to uh, more accurately uh, observe the available bandwidth and also the uh, latency, the round trip latency. So, uh, so that's um, that's a very recent um, congestion control pro- uh, protocol. Okay, so in in your example that you gave earlier today, you talked about deploying uh, BBR and Windows right. as the right. particular use use case. So, right. why is Network Stack as a service particularly well suited for uh, that that particular uh, case? Right. So, for the current BBR, it's uh, implemented on Linux. So, uh, if let's say you are running a Windows VM, um, and then you really want to use this recent uh, protocol, you would you would not really be able to because uh, Windows does not really have BBR implementation. Um, and um, if, um, let's say, if you want to, if you want Microsoft to instead port this and support this, then it's probably going to take a, a long time. So with uh, Network Stack as a service, it's, this can be very easily done because um, you already decoupled and you already separate the network stack from the guest OS. So then you can have this BBR implemented as, let's say, a separate uh, Linux VM. And then all you need to do is to connect this um, this BBR VM with the tenant VM, and then uh, you will be able to have the Windows VM using the actual BBR stack uh, that's provided by the, uh, by the network stack uh, uh, module or the network stack VM. Yeah. So uh, we've we've talked about why uh, BBR or maybe other network stack features are mm. of advantage to uh, the, the the person actually deploying the VM. So uh, mm. of the tenant. Right. Right. Um, but what's the what, what's the advantage to the the cloud service provider? Okay, so um, there are we think there are a number of things that the provider will be able to do. Uh, with with uh, with this um, things that are they are not really able to do uh, in the current uh, architecture. So the first, for example, first thing they could do is to um, to really have a optimized stack deployed, uh, kind of across the board, uh, without having to, for example, having to. Uh, change the VM dramatically or hack into uh, the network stack inside the VMs. And then the second thing they can do is they can uh, they can provide a better uh, performance guarantees uh, because right now they have the entire control on the stack, uh, including the implementation. So they can dedicate uh, resources, say CPU cores, to that uh, stack module and uh, and uh, make sure the performance is good and even charge tenants based on the level of performance that they can provide and the, the number of cores that, that is used to provide that performance. So that's the second thing. And then uh, the, the third thing they can do is, uh, for example, they can have one uh, network stack module serving multiple VMs at the same time uh, because uh, a lot of the VMs, they don't really... Uh, they don't really use network like all the time, so it's natural that you exploit this uh, uh, multiplexing benefit, and uh, hopefully this could even save some CPU cores, like compared to compared to giving everybody you know one core at least uh, for their VM. Yeah. So, 
what what is the total uh, resource utilization mm-hmm. with this approach versus uh, say the conventional approach overall are you using more cores are you using more cpu or um, are there enough benefits from consolidation that you're using about the same amount or even less do you do you have a, a feeling about that if, if you're, you're you're basically splitting off the network stacks into separate yes. vms or separate cores right right so um if we're able to really exploit uh, the uh, multiplexing benefit to consolidate and we we think that we will be able to actually reduce the number of CPU cores we need um, f- for networking. So the overall number of cores uh, will be will be less than uh, than what you need uh, in today's uh, cloud. Uh, if we, but then if uh, if only if we're only able to serve, let's say, a few one or two VMs uh, for for a NSM, um, then we might actually end up using even more CPU cores for that. So it's very much, it also very much depends on our implementation, on our, uh, on our optimization. So if we're able to be more efficient uh, with the implementation, then we'll be able to save uh, the CPUs as well. So yeah, so I think uh, the the implementation has a lot of um, uh, has a lot of effect on that. Uh, but then the this idea of separating the stack as a service, um, um, if we do it right, it should really uh, save uh, the the CPU resources in in general. Yeah. So it seems to me that that one of the the big political things here is uh that you're you're giving up control mm. the the tenant is giving the up tenant control giving up. yeah of giving up control over the network uh, to the cloud provider mm. um or or maybe they even aren't if the if the tenant is in control of, of both the um both the vms since you're, you're you're essentially splitting off the networking part of a vm into a separate vm right it, it really depends on on how much control the tenant has over the the networking vm so uh have, have you thought at all uh, over sort of the higher level implications um is is the tenant uh, uh generally uh, are are they getting enough benefit uh, over uh, from from the arrangement to sort of uh, make up for giving up that control? Um, is the cloud provider uh, gaining a lot of benefits from basically taking some of that control? Have you thought about uh, issues at that high level? Mm. I think that's a great question. So there are uh, we thought about this, uh, but I'm sure there are a lot of other things that we actually haven't. Um, Touched on, so um, I think for tenants, they they um, their most of their benefit comes from this uh, freedom of not having to uh, not having to worry about like maintaining the stack or, or tuning for performance or, or deploying a new stack. Um, how to do that? So that's uh, we think for most of the tenants, that's uh, that's a pretty big benefit uh, because for most of the tenants, they probably do not have the expertise or they don't even want to um, spend too much time and effort on, on, on networking uh, things. That sounds a little bit like sort of the advantages of moving to a cloud uh, overall. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, exactly. So we imagine that for those tenants, it would be uh, more beneficial. Um, so the, the the cost of giving up control is um, not very serious over there. Um, 
for um, for the provider, uh, there's they they have they have a lot more control, so they can do a lot of things that I uh, mentioned before. So I think for providers, they have even bigger uh, motivation. I think um, to 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 adopt uh, this kind of thing. Um, and and one thing I want to say about the tenant is that. Um, so they they actually have this extra kind of uh, degree of freedom with this because uh, they can they still have the choice of which stack or which um, um, service module uh, they want. So they can say that all right, I, I want this I want this VBR. So you can deploy this. Uh, this is going to be my module. But on the other hand, if you don't like VBR, if you want let's say MTCP or some other different stack implementation, then you can ask the provider for it and the provider can still implement this as, as another uh, choice uh, for the tenant. So, so that's, yeah, so you, you get, uh, you still get this uh, choice uh, for the tenant. Right. So maybe it's better to think of it not so much as giving up control, but uh, turning over the costs of management right, uh, of right. another part of the system to the provider. Right. Exactly. So we're trying to say that the current like division of labor, it probably puts too much work uh, for the tenants because uh, you leave the entire stack up to them. Uh, whereas uh, network stack as a service, it's it's a new way of division the labor, and it's probably a better way uh, because the tenants will be freed from uh, these uh, uh, mundane things about uh, the, the network stack. Yeah. So uh, what, what was your motivation uh, be behind this? Uh, did, did you talk to mm -hmm. anybody who was working in clouds and had some frustration around this or, or was it a more, uh, more organic sort of thing? We'd, uh, we'd like to see other ways that we can split up right. operating systems. Right. So um, the initial, initially it's a, uh, organic idea uh, from me and my students. So initially we were looking at uh, a few papers uh, from Sikong, I think 2016. So there were a few papers about virtualizing congestion control in the public cloud. There's VCC and ACDC. Um, so we were looking at that and we think that uh, the problem they mentioned is particularly interesting. And uh, basically the bigger problem here is that uh, you don't really have much control on the network stack uh, for public cloud, and uh, we think that there is a there is a more fundamental solution to that um, instead of trying to implement things on the hypervisor or as a hypervisor module. Um, so, so that's how we start to explore this, and uh, we 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 had this idea of why don't we just separate it and provide it as a service. Um, so then later I uh, visit uh, Microsoft Research uh, in Asia, in Beijing, and then we brought this idea over there, and then uh, people there uh, had. Uh, quite a few interesting use cases about this idea and they also felt that this uh, is pretty promising um, so yeah so we started to involve them in the project and that's how we uh, carry this forward 
So uh, the Linux kernel, at least, doesn't really provide an easy way to replace the the network stack. Mm-hmm. Um, does uh, does does Windows provide a, a direct interface where you can uh, easily do this sort of replacement? Um, that actually, I I'm not quite sure. So we right now our prototype is still based on Linux. Um, we haven't explored Windows uh, much. So um, it looks so like you had some Windows results in your paper. Yeah, a little bit. So over there, we we showed that uh, for a Windows VM, we're able to uh, basically hook it up with a uh, Linux uh, VM that actually runs the VBR stack, and then we're able to have better throughput results uh, for for a wide area transfer. Yeah. So over there, what we did is uh, we we did enough. Uh, to hijack the socket API calls from uh, Windows to uh, divert that into our uh, our own VM, uh, but that's that's that is pretty simple to do. Yeah. So if you want to have a complete uh, software system that replaces the entire socket interface, then that's going to be uh, a lot more difficult. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we, we've talked a lot about sort of the idea at a high level and mm. some of the high level benefits, uh, mm. but we uh, haven't talked yet about uh, how do we actually implement it. Mm. So do you want to talk a little bit about your uh, your, your prototype and, and how we, we get to this uh, sort of a system? Okay, sure. So I can uh, maybe introduce the design of our current uh, software system. So uh, our system, uh, it's called uh, NetKernel. And uh, it's based on KVM mostly, so I think there are two uh, two main design uh, choices we we made. Um, so the first design choice is that we decide to uh, use VM uh, to implement the network stack as a as a module. So you would think that uh, you can actually implement uh, this. Uh, as let's say a a container or maybe even a hypervisor module, it doesn't have to be a VM. Um, but uh, if you if you um, if you use a VM, then it's very flexible. You can very easily just uh, port all the existing kernels, uh, existing stacks, uh, kernel stack or user space stack, uh, into the VM. But if you port it on the hypervisor module or as a container, that's a lot more challenging to do, and uh, also uh, it's it's uh, so you can very easily uh, provide isolation, and uh, you can dedicate resource to a VM uh, very easily. Um, so these are all the benefits of using VM for uh, for for implementing this. So that's the first design choice we made, and uh, the the second uh, the second uh, design problem is that. Um, so since now we separate the stack, so the uh, the interface, the network interface in the tenant VM is still the socket interface, uh, but the actual stack we implement in our VM, it may or it may not be uh, compatible or it may not be uh, really the same with the uh, semantics at the VM. So. So then there is the problem of how do we translate uh, between the two. Um, so to do this, uh, we use sort of a RDMA-like kind of design. So we have this data structure called uh, uh, NQE, the, the Q elements for for NetKernel. So it will uh, 
it will basically translate the socket APIs into NQE, and uh, it will then put the actual application data in a huge page region that is shared between the VM and NSM, and uh, and then it will send the NQE over to the uh, to the network stack VM so that uh, so that the net the v that VM can use the actual API the actual stack to send the data out uh, through through the through the uh, through the network. So on a high level, uh, these are the two main things that we that we do. Yeah. Okay. So, and uh, to recap a little bit, the, mm -hmm. um, the the VM, the tenant VM, and the network stack each run in a separate VM, right? And you use uh, shared memory uh, primarily to communicate between the two. That's right. The communication is shared memory. Yes, that seems like it would be a, a important design choice. Uh, you, you can't really use a, a network to implement a, a network stack. It's uh, no, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, let's see here. Um, what if we try to uh, uh, extend the mm -hmm. uh, the description in people's minds by going through uh, what what is it? What what's sort of the life cycle of a of, oh. of a of a of a socket API call? Right. Uh, with with uh, with our uh, system. Right. right. So um, so with NetKernel, it's um, so it goes like this. So for the so first of all, we have this small library that's running inside the guest OS. So this is of the tenant VM. Right, of the tenant VM, right? So this is some change that we made uh, to the tenant VM. So uh, this is this library is going to uh, monitor and is going to uh, divert the socket API calls, let's say the send uh, call, um, to to the actual network stack. Um, so. What it does, so it sees the send call, and then it will uh, get the application data, and then it will copy that data into the shared memory. That's the first thing. And then the second thing it does is to translate this into a NQE. And then uh, basically, so it puts the uh, the send semantics, uh, the uh, the socket, uh, the socket, uh, FD and all the other information into the NQE, and then uh, the NQE will be then forwarded to the uh, other to the network stack VM. So the network stack VM will then realize that there is something that it needs to handle, uh, particularly it's a send call. So then it will get the uh, application data from the shared memory um, based on the pointer that's provided by the NQE, and then it will use the actual uh, send um, API from its own stack to process that data and send it out. Yeah, so that's the send process, and then the receiving will uh, pre will be pretty much the same, except that uh, when packets are received by the network stack VM, then uh, it will it will involve some callback functions to netkernel instead of sending that data to the applications because right now the applications are in a different VM. So uh, other than that, uh, yeah, other than that, it's pretty similar to the send process as well. Yeah. 
Okay. So uh, let, let's talk about the, the, the overhead that this introduces. Is, right. it, is it worth uh, sort of uh, comparing uh, the, the steps that uh, the, mm-hmm. the expensive steps that sort of a normal native stack would go to compare mm-hmm. those to what a, a stack in this uh, uh, sort of architecture goes through right. so that we can get sort of an intuitive idea of, of how the, the overheads compare? Right. So um, because we introduced uh, this uh, share memory and uh, the so there is basically two extra copies uh, going on over here. So one is that uh, you copy data from the uh, tenant VM to the share memory and then from the share memory into the uh, network stack VM. So uh, so these are the extra overhead that we, we bring with our system. So let's see. In a, mm-hmm. in a native sort of environment, uh, we'd, we'd normally have a copy from uh, user space into the kernel. Yes. And then probably, uh, probably at that point, we could use the network's card DMA to avoid a second software copy so that mm-hmm. we end up with, the, with just a single software copy on, okay. on send. So in this case, what we end up with is a, a, a copy into the shared memory yep. and then a copy out of the shared memory. And and then we can DMA it to a network card. Right, right. So do we introduce one extra copy or two extra copies? It it almost sounds to me like it's just one extra copy. Um, I think, I think for our current uh, implementation, so the library in the in the tenant VM is running in the kernel. So we didn't really save that copy. So from the application to our library, that's still. Uh, that's still a copy. Okay. Is right. there room for optimization there? Yeah, of course. Oh, yeah, okay. of course. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So uh, there is a bunch of things you could do. So uh, on the network stack VM side, you can make that there a copy. You can just, uh, uh, you can change your uh, network stack VM so that it directly uh, gets data or reads data from the share memory instead of having to copy. Yeah. So that's definitely something that you can optimize for. Uh, but right now we haven't. Uh, yeah, for our current prototype, we haven't done that. Okay, so yeah. so given that uh, we we know that there's uh, some additional optimization possible, mm-hmm. let, let's talk a little bit about the the actual uh, numbers that uh, that that you have. So mm. uh, in in your talk uh, earlier. Uh, uh, you you had one uh, one test that sounded a, a lot like a, a a pretty good macro benchmark where you, you where you were using the the nginx uh, um, right. a web server right. and and comparing uh, native to uh, to net yes. kernel uh, numbers uh, yes so uh, do you want to to talk about those a little yeah sure um, so let me brought up the numbers um, so that's um, so I want to uh, emphasize that this is still uh, very much ongoing. Um, so the numbers we we actually we get uh, right now is not really uh, optimal. So what we did is that we uh, have a baseline setting where we have one VM, uh, one tenant VM. Uh, so it has one CPU core and runs the NGINX uh, over uh, Linux kernel uh, stack. And then for uh, we measure the uh, RPS uh, requests per second, and basically we see is that we can get 25k uh, RPS for 64 byte uh, requests, uh, and then for net kernel. So for net kernel, we have uh, two CPU cores allocated to run the network stack VM, 
and uh, the uh, tenant VM still runs one CPU core. And for this case, we get uh, roughly 35K uh, compared to 25K of the baseline. So we, we added a core, um, and the second core is used for the network stack. We actually added two cores over here. Okay. Right. Um, oh, I, I thought we were uh, talking about uh, one core tenant VM Yes, one core of tenant VM. Versus one core tenant VM plus uh, a network stack VM. Uh, for network stack, we actually have two cores. Oh, I uh, see. Over here. Yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah. So okay. one of the cores is mostly for receiving packets from the NIC, uh, interrupts and, and, and other stuff. And the other core is for handle, handling everything else. Okay. And then, yeah. So we, we added two cores, and right. we, we added uh, 10,000 10, requests per second in terms of throughput. That's right. Yeah, okay. For now, yeah. And and then so uh, let's see. Do you do you have an idea of of what kind of uh, request per second you could get if we just had a three core VM running Nginx? Um. So for two cores, we can get forty four. Uh, we haven't looked at three cores. So for two cores running in the VM uh, without that kernel, we can get forty four. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So um, yeah, theoretically speaking, our performance should be similar to this uh, two core K. Uh, or or better than the two core case, yeah, because um, because when we look at the CPU utilization, so we see that most of the CPU is spent on uh, receiving packets for the tenant VM. So roughly uh, fifty percent of the CPU is over there. So um, so so the numbers we're seeing right now is uh, a bit. Uh, it's still. Uh, like it's still suboptimal, so it's far mm -hmm. away from the uh, from the numbers that we would like to see. So there is still room that we need to optimize um, for the performance. Yeah, theoretically, uh, it, it right. should be it should be cheaper to copy uh, data into the shared memory than to run an entire network stack. So does mm -hmm. that give uh, does that give the the tenant VM uh, mm -hmm. more CPU time to work on other things? Or are it there does. advantages to the tenant VM? Right, right, definitely. So like in in the previous experiment, uh, if you have one one core for the entire tenant VM, then actually half of it is spent on receiving packets. So, uh, if you if you look at uh, the Nginx CPU utilization, it's roughly just twenty to thirty percent. So, so uh, seventy percent is spent on the network stack. Uh, fifty percent fifty percent is on receiving, and uh, another twenty percent on sending. Uh, packets. So then, if if, um, if you if you use netkernel, then the entire CPU is available for the application. Um, so there there is more CPU available uh, for the VM as well, for the tenant VM. So in a a setup like this, um, uh, theoretically, uh, right. would would you expect that the performance would be uh, I don't know better or worse or equal to sort of the the, the native uh, stack with if you have this sort of a, the same number of cores? Right, I would expect it to be a little bit uh, worse than the native uh, stack because there's still uh, the overhead of of net kernel. Uh, there's this extra hop. Um, of of packets going uh, to to a different uh, VM, and then uh, there's uh, there's this communication between the tenant VM and the network VM in order to make sure that every everything goes correctly. So there's some control overhead over there too. Um, so I expect this to be a little bit uh, worse than the native uh, stack implementation. Um, 
the the good thing is that uh, now we can we can have uh, better control, and now it's actually easier for us to uh, scale and also to provide more CPU resource uh, just for the network stack. So previously, it was kind of difficult to do that because um, if you are using a kernel stack, it was uh, it is difficult to 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 just pin uh, CPU resource for the for the network stack. Uh, but then for us right now, with NetKernel, it would be pretty easy to do. Sure. Yeah. So um, the basic story you're telling, though, is that this this isn't primarily a, a performance um, idea. This is um, about no, other probably benefits. not. Yeah. Right. So uh, it's a new um, framework of how we can provide uh, network services to the tenants. Um, so performance-wise, if we're able to be um, uh, as close to the native implementation as possible, then I think we're fine. So uh, with the other benefits like flexibility and uh, other use cases that this enables, um, so we should uh, we should uh, architecturally speaking, we should uh, we should be. I believe we're a better uh, approach than the current uh, way of doing things. So I, I noticed that you quoted uh, performance for 64-byte um, transactions. Uh-huh. Uh, often 64 bytes is sort of a worst case. Um, does the performance uh, get better or more closely approach native as you do larger transactions? Um, well, we right now we haven't looked at that uh, much, So, uh, but it will be very easy to look at uh, uh, like bigger request sizes and, and see how that performs. Um, so right now I'm I'm not too sure because I haven't looked at uh, the performance numbers for those uh, very closely. Yeah. Uh, so what what's your guess? Do you think there's a large cost per transaction and the cost per byte is low? Um, I think I think the cost. Uh, no, I think the cost per transaction is. It's not that high, so I think that's not really a main uh, issue. Yeah. Okay. So, so I think, so I think, uh, yeah, I don't think that's going to be a main issue over here. Yeah. Okay. Right. Um, but with bigger requests, um, when we, because right now we copy to the shared memory, so with bigger requests, um, when we copy to the shared memory, the uh, the data may be actually partitioned into. Uh, different, different, uh, different blocks of the shared memory. Cache lines, so, right? So this might be a, a problem uh, for larger, for larger requests. Yeah. Okay. So basically, managing allocating memory of the uh, shared page, uh, this could be, this could be a potential problem. Uh, okay. Yeah. So uh, we we've been talking a lot about the high levels and then the details. Uh, mm-hmm. What what do you think people should uh, should take away if they're listening? What what is mm-hmm. the the big lesson here? Um, so I think the key takeaway is um, is that uh, the the current uh, the current uh, division of labor or the current uh, architecture for networking um, it's it has uh, some serious limitations. Um, so uh, the tenant will have to uh, spend a lot of energy on optimizing the stack. On the other hand, the provider is not able to help much, even though they has the 
ability to, and they have the motivation to, but uh, they are unable uh, to do that. And uh, the the result of that is that if you have some new protocols, it becomes very difficult to deploy them uh, in a public cloud setting. Um, so this actually also poses a like a um, a challenge for uh, protocol innovation. So we want to say that with with NetKernel and with our approach of uh, having network stack as a service, then we should uh, decouple the stack uh, so it, it becomes an independent service instead of part of the VM. And by doing this, we will have a lot more flexibility and uh, the provider will be able to do more optimization. And at, at the end, uh, it will be much easier for the network stack to evolve uh, because now it's um, it's a lot easier for you to deploy a protocol uh, with NetKernel. Great. So uh, let's talk about sort of what comes next or, or what's the, f- the future of the work. And I actually have one uh, specific question that, that uh, is a little higher level. So um, this project is about uh, taking one of the kernel subsystems and breaking it out into a separate VM. Right. Are there other kernel subsystems that you've thought about uh, breaking out? Like you could, uh, you could put file systems in another VM. Uh, I don't know what other components. Have you had any thoughts about that? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, we haven't actually thought about... Uh, doing that um so what we have uh in mind as future work is uh, first of all uh, performance optimization and then second of all right now we're uh we're using uh vms but uh, in a public cloud but then for a private uh, data center where you probably just run containers instead of uh bunch of vms uh, for that setting is it possible to realize also this vision um without you know uh, without uh, the vms so that's uh, the second thing that we're thinking about um so for sort of decoupling other subsystems in the operating system um the the idea has been around for for uh, quite some time right so, so we haven't explored that but i think that's there's some very exciting uh some very exciting work that we can expect if someone uh, really does that. All right. Yeah. Uh, thanks for those thoughts on that. Um, okay. So uh, if people want to learn more about Network Stack as a service, what's the right place for them to go? Um, so for now, um, for now, you can check out my webpage. Um, we, will, we haven't, but then we will very soon have a website uh, for this project. Uh, but right now we don't have that, so just go to my website and just try to Google uh, Henry Shi, and you will be able to find my page. Okay, and I guess that the the Hotnets paper is available. Right, sure. Uh, so, Sujata so just told me that the video is also up uh, on Hotnets link. So, the talk is uh, you can check out the talk as well. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, is there anything else you want to say? Um, I think that's it. All right. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks, Ben. Yeah. OBS Orbit is edited and produced by Ben Pfaff using Audacity audio editing software and released under the Creative Commons unported 3.0 license. The intro and bumper music in this episode is excerpted from Electro Deluxe by My Free Mickey and the outro from Girls Like You by Stefan Kartenberg, both under the Creative Commons attribution unported 3.0 license. For more episodes of OVS Orbit, visit ovsorbit.org or for more information about OpenVSwitch, visit openvswitch.org.